Thank you for tuning in to WVEW LP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM. It's Sunday at noon, and you're listening to Indigo Radio, deepening understanding and making connections. We are a group of educators who have been broadcasting for over five years with shows about education, prisons, labor, health, housing, media, and voices of resistance. Subscribe weekly to hear more on SoundCloud or Apple iTunes, and follow us at Indigo Radio on Instagram and Facebook. This is Becca, one of the Indigo Radio co-hosts, and today I will be airing an interview with Ellen Kelly and Annie Rodriguez, a high schooler and university student who are part of Fridays for Future in Donostia, Spain. Fridays for Future is a youth-led and organized movement that began in August 2018 after 15-year-old Greta Thunberg and other young activists sat in front of the Swedish parliament every school day for three weeks to protest against the lack of action on climate crisis. I met Ellen and Annie while they were holding their weekly protests outside of the city hall in San Sebastian and was able to join them on September 24th for the global strike from school. It was a pleasure speaking with them and I hope you learn as much as I did from their thoughtful insights about how to put people and the planet above profit. As always, we have a lot to learn from the young people. Sin futuro, sin casa, sin huertas, sin valles, sin mariposas. Nos quitan el agua, nos quitan el barrio, se adueñan de todas las cosas. Nos quitan la tierra, nos han declarado la guerra, van propagando las ruinas. Señores del hambre y codicia, el calor de ahí fuera me asfixia. La última vez que nos matáis es la última vez que nos enfrentáis. Veo las miradas, ya vuelvo a creer, el miedo no me para, sé a dónde correr. Me encuentro con mis amigas, toca defender la vida y sigue cambiando el clima. No hay solución mientras sigan estas reglas Rompamos las normas de modo en la vuelta Que nadie se quede atrás en esta senda Sigo diciendo hay suyos que valgan la pena Juntarse sobrilla, fragmentos de estrellas Que no cambie el clima, que cambie el sistema Que no cambie el clima, que cambie el sistema Que no cambie el clima, que cambie el sistema I am talking with Annie Rodriguez and Ellen Kelly. Thanks so much for joining Indigo Radio. Hi, thank, thank you, Vika, for inviting us. Thank you for having us here. So tell me a little bit about Fridays for Future in general, and then specifically about what's happening here in Spain and Donostia. So Fridays is, first of all, an international movement, and it's mainly geared towards students. It was founded in 2018 by Swedish activist Greta Thunberg, and uh, because she said every fr- sat every Friday in front of the Swedish parliament. Uh, then it began to um, expand to lots of, uh, lots of places in the world. And for example, and 
For example, in Spain, in every major city almost, there is a phrase for future. And there is a coalition uh, that is called Juventud por el Clima, um, where different groups in Spain talk uh, to also have uh, ongoing communication. Uh, however, each uh, group has, um, has power to make their own decisions and um, do protests or actions that are directly oriented to serving a specific problem in their community. We all kind of agree in some points and then uh, we have liberty to, yeah, to do different actions. And then the big, like when it started was in um, 2019, in the, 5th, the 15th of May, uh, where there was like the big uh, climate strike, like it was the first and that's where we started in Donostia. What are some of the points that you all agree on? So there are like three main points. First one is that we must keep uh, the global temperature below one and a half degrees uh, compared to the industrial times. Then the second is uh, we are demand social and ecological justice. And the third one is that the um, um, scientific community must be heard and uh, listened to. And so how do you all take these principles and apply them here in Donostia? Well, um, there are, uh, as I said, specific actions. For example, uh, they, uh, one example is that, uh, for example, they want to uh, build um, a surfing park in San Sebastian, a uh, wave park where uh, people can go surf. Uh, this makes no sense. Uh, because we live right next to the sea and it would cause the destruction of a lot of uh, birds habitats, uh, some of which are endangered species. On top of the electricity consumption it would take and the amount of land it would require. So we take those principles of um, not a Oh, uh, not so that the uh, global temperature doesn't go one point over 1.5 degrees by trying to do things like uh, reducing the amount of uh, energy that they have to use. And um, so that's one example. Yeah, or maybe for the eco-social part, uh, when they uh, started with the, um, what, the incinerator mm. in Surville. Yeah, in so these uh, attempts to not just the um, the ecological the ecological uh, health but also people's health because it emits lots of uh, gases and so uh, demanding social justice would be that like they that they don't put in danger these people's lives by because they are all the time breathing that air so it's like, you know, I just being here for the last two months, I was really, I felt like it was a very like environmentally friendly city, for example, with like people riding their bikes and walking and using the buses and not a lot of cars. But it sounds like there's similar challenges as everywhere in the world here. I think that in Donostia, as it's such a touristic city, they keep the city clean because it's pretty. But all these things are outside of the city. But like, I feel like 
the town hall of Donostia does all these dirty things in the peripheries. Mm. So when you're living here, you don't notice that, but they are all around us. Yes, I mean, it, as I said, it's a touristic city and in order to maintain it, they have to um, keep an appearance. So, for example, there are uh, so many parking spaces un uh, underneath the city that could be used for something else. Uh, for example, I don't know, to do a space for young people because it brings a lot or something else. And it, um, or I don't know, uh, the, for example, in front of my house, there are the containers where uh, there are, where you throw things away. Lots of times there's uh, things coming out because uh, they, we throw so much waste away. Uh, so, I mean, yes, I think that in the whole world, we uh, have similar problems. And what, what caused you both to become involved in this movement, Fridays for Future? I feel like we both had like a sensitive part with, the, with nature since we were little. Like in my case, I grew up in a very, so I, I was born in Donostia, but I would go to a village in Burgos that didn't have any electricity. Two people live the whole year there, like it was all nature. And I think that that made me connect with it. And the fact that maybe in class or something, we heard about climate change and I was really worried about that. But there was like a stop because everyone would tell me like, no, but you're gonna be dead when this happens. So like, don't worry. I mean, you're not gonna experience it, but it's kind of mean as well or selfish because what about the people that are going after me? But well, and so like that made me like forget about it. But when Greta came and just told us, like, no, this is happening now. Like, it was more of a survival thing, like, okay, so this, if this is happening, like, I cannot separate myself from this. Uh, yes, for me, it was, um, well, when I was, uh, I my grandmother also uh, lives in parts uh, of the year in a small village in uh, Leon. So uh, surrounded by like I said, a lot of um, nature. And also I've always like gone to the mountain and experienced nature. But also when I was like, I think 10 years old or so, and I began to comprehend more about climate change and what I really meant, because one of my uh, friends uh, dad was a biologist. And so he uh, explained to me and to my friend, like the effects of what, what climate change was and what really perplexed me was um, how it was talked about like a fact or something that had to be accepted and just dealt with instead of really doing something and you know so I did some things you know uh, so when I was younger I uh, gave a speech in the town hall because it was 2016 and um, cyclists were coming um, from, I think, the south of Spain to Paris for the Paris Agreement. But after that, I felt uh, a little bit alone. I didn't feel like there was uh, people. In the beginning of 2020, uh, our school did a, a cycling 
uh, every year they did like a cycling thing that we cycle all around the university. And Fridays for Future gave a speech, uh, but I didn't talk to them until um, the quarantine of that year. Ah, yes. I didn't know you were there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was there. I was there. And so ever since, uh, you know, I've been more active because I feel like there's more people, but still like I'm the youngest one in the group. So I feel like there's no, there's young people, but not really young people um, being activists. So, yeah. Okay, you're calling us all old? Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> One of the things that I read about in Fridays for Future is the goal to create a new system that puts people and the planet first. And I was wondering if you could talk about what that means to you, both like on a big philosophical, but also on the day-to-day. Uh, this summer, the IPCC report was released, and uh, this is the best available science there is on climate change. Previous reports, they, they obviously said that climate change was um, had a big influence by human activity, but it wasn't um, concrete proof. And in this report, it clearly states that uh, human activity due to industrial activities and other things is there is like the direct cause of climate change. It also says that the temperature has risen 0.9 degrees Celsius since the pre-industrial revolution. In this report, it says, quote, current emission, quote, current emissions are incompatible with the Paris Agreement. So it's absolutely mandatory to reduce them in an immediate and forceful way. Part of the report is not only to give facts, but to give recommendations. And here we see that we are clearly not doing enough because Although lots of countries sign agreements or um, and, uh, talk with other leaders, they don't um, follow through with the uh, commitments they make. And well, obviously, uh, the capitalistic model that we have currently is uh, not sustainable because it relies on constant economic growth, which relies on increase consumption and if we uh, obviously if you uh, consume more there is you have to produce more which in turn um, produces more greenhouse gases and the climate crisis uh, but it is also very important to take into account that not all countries and not all regions in the world have the same accountability like for example um, the whole continent of Africa has emitted less than 4% of global emissions. It is important on a large scale to find another way because just by changing our daily lives, I mean, if we, there are a lot of people who depend on the current model, but it is important to take action in a larger scale to be able to end the climate crisis and be realistic, not only saying things that are not uh, then reflected in reality. Putting life in the middle is understanding that our, our current system only benefits less than 1% of the population. And it would be things like not allowing rich people to go to the space just because it's on the point of their nose, no? Like to, 
you know, have a little bit of common sense. And if there are things that aren't needed and it all in, we have to, like every policies should be focused on how can people's life and the planet's well-being improve, not what will make me look better or what will make me gain more money because you can't count your money if you can't breathe. I also think it's important to acknowledge that we in rich countries consume products that aren't made in our countries and go to other countries that need the uh, money to basically exploit the people that are there, pollute there, and then bring the products so we can consume them. For example, fast fashion, which is one of the biggest polluters, goes to Bangladesh and pollutes uh, rivers and all kinds of things. So for me also, it would look like, for example, not uh, being able to do that, if not being able to go to other countries to pollute what you wouldn't pollute in your own country because of the regulations and not being able to import that, that we know that. And also, for example, not being able to greenwash things because right now uh, there, uh, the Spanish government doesn't have regulations on what is considered sustainable. So any brand, anyone can put that their product is sustainable when in reality is it isn't because it is a very vague term that is thrown up around very loosely and really confuses buyers. And sometimes you don't know what is and what isn't, and you can't really know unless you do loads of research and you you really go in depth into that. And the reality is that most people don't, and most people don't have time to evaluate every single product they buy and also there probably there isn't a market that is affordable for everyone to be able to buy a sustainable product and sometimes you don't even know what that means in reality lots of lots of economic help it's going to industries that have been here for a lot of for a lot of time and the industries that are trying to make a positive change aren't being given all that help. Mm-hmm. So putting life in the middle would be, that that would be a part of putting life in the middle to help the new new initiatives. Yeah, something like in my lifetime, I've seen the environmental justice movement move like shift from not just save the rainforest, but actually like looking at the foundation of our economic system and saying, wait, a, and questioning the logic of it, right? And, and questioning the fact that um, those who produce all of our things, like the clothes that you all were talking about, are the, that relationship between us and the people who produce our clothes is a problem. And yeah. within it, it, it's a problem for the environment. It's not like the environment struggle being something separate. It's like embedded now into the way that our system operates. And also, I think there's been another shift in for the time that I have been in the movement, that, that's been for two years. I think that there has been a change in the shift of the narrative where, uh, when speaking about responsibilities, because 
Uh, well, there's one thing called ecological fascism that talks about how, I mean, like human beings and the worst because we are destroying our planet and all of that. But it, like, it drops attention, it takes the, the real responsibles out of the hook because if we are saying that people must be conscious and people must change their lifestyle, we are not taking into account that sometimes as Ellen said previously sometimes we don't have the time and the effort to really like you have to make a big effort in order to be sustainable so it's the institution's um, job to make that path easier for us like for example taking a plane when I went to Portugal I'm so sorry but I took a plane I didn't pay it it was already organized but it's true that if I had gone in train maybe I couldn't have gone because for a week maybe I should have been a whole day in the train, like they should make it easier for us or like with money as well. I'm I'm going to Madrid and the train, it's super, uh, like I'm going by bus, but the train is super, super um, uh, ay, expensive. Uh, yeah. expensive, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that those are the things that we need them to make easier. Also that maybe we have different roles, like, I think that people have like to uh, pressure institutions into making the change, obviously making changes themselves, but also like pressuring the institutions and the institutions. Like, I think that when you go to the supermarket, you shouldn't be met with, should I buy this? Uh, Because um, I don't know if this is sustainable or not. It should just like, here are some chips that are sustainable and then you can eat them and you don't really have to like make all that uh, hours and hours of research to come to the conclusion that you can buy them. If some another person is met with that a, a distinction, they are going to choose the option where they save the most money. So you've already both started talking about the obstacles in creating this new system, Um, mainly the fact that right now our system prioritizes making a profit for a few people and the rest of us are told to like live within the choices of those that those companies have made for us. And I'm wondering though, like if there's other obstacles you see in creating this new system, it could be like Lots of people are dependent on um, very polluting industries. I mean, for example, um, in the um, the um, in the techs, uh, higher employees uh, more than um, one hundred forty-four thousand people, and if we were to restrict in the techs in their production and how they produce, where they produce, and other things, lots of people would uh, lose their jobs. I think it is something that is going to happen, but we have to give an alternative because when, when we transition investing in other industries that are more respectful with the environment, uh, more jobs will be created, but the institutions have also to be conscious and um, give an alternative to those people 
like not only say it will create more jobs, but to specific people that you they lose their jobs because they work in a car factory, for example, to give them a, a tr training to be able to go into another industry. Okay, so I, I think that, that it's a really, really complex uh, subject. We don't have to have all the answers to, to propose things that should happen, right? And that's something that often like people will say, like like you said, oh, that's so such a complex idea. How could young people plan to put jobs into a whole nother industry? You don't have that, like, you know, those skills, right? But the point that Ellen's making is means that people are not like the environment is not being pitted against people's livelihood. And that's like the important thing. Like in the US with all of the pipelines, that's often the, the end of a conversation is people say, I don't care what happens to the water because I need to put food on my table. I need to, I need to work this job. And so then they say like, oh, the environmental activists are trying to make it so that I can't feed my kids. You're against all the people who are making them do that. And right. Like, right. If we took out the fossil fuel industry, there would be lots of more job into the re renewable energy, like that they can be shifted. But as you say, we don't have the answers, and I and I don't think that we must have all the answers. Like I think that it's their job, not ours. Like we are just certain and mad. <laughs> we are not scientists. But then again, like. I mean, in the IPCC report, there are things that are said that have to be specifically done. And yeah. I mean, we don't have to, maybe our job is to present a problem and and then all the technicalities can, I think the technicalities can be solved and working with specific people, um, giving them a solution. I don't think it has to like be black or white, you know, and people can like the government and institutions can work because that's their job. I mean, it's their job to come up with the solutions to uh, write um, procedures on how to do it. That's their job. <laughs> We are requiring them to do their, their job and to not ignore the crisis. How it is now, they've basically done nothing but sign papers that then go to nothing, go to waste, Because why sign the Paris Accord if then they are not going to even meet the basic requirements? They don't even say they are going to try to make, meet the basic requirements. I don't know. It's, we're, we're just requiring, requiring them and asking them that uh, they put the people first and not the interest of companies and of themselves first. And also one thing that it's also... a mentioned like a lot of times is that uh, we are not counting with future technologies that will help this transition and that like taking the um, the example of the pandemic in just a year they create like all the whole world was working into one objective and if it, it, it would just take that or I mean it's a big effort but like if they had done that we wouldn't be talking right now. Like, I'm sure that if they put the focus on this, it wouldn't be like, they would have the solutions like this because they already exist. And as Ellen said, they are already mentioned in several reports. 
uh, I really liked what a girl said in a video, a story writer, and she talked about how uh, throughout the years, all the most popular stories were mainly based on heroes and how a single person saved the world or how, you know, Superman and all of those people, like it, it just took one person to solve the biggest problem Oh, the biggest global problems. She said how we needed community narratives to, to kind of change our focus on the problems and understand that together we, we make the strength to change things that one person really, that that's not real. And how, how we need representation of groups of people achieve, achievements. And I really like that. And I think that's like the essence of what Fridays for Future represents too. Yeah, it's it, And like in Fridays, there isn't a hierarchy of people. So there isn't one person who makes the decision for the group. The decisions are made collectively, horizontal way. So that is a very, like it can be done Every, every person's opinion and everyone can give something to their community and everyone can really help. It's not one person's job to do everything. And that's, you know, what I felt when I was not part of Fridays that I was alone because I didn't know anyone. I didn't uh, know what to do. I was just, and, Maybe there's people who are like that too, that they want to do something, but they just don't know anyone who also wants to do something. And then they can organize and they can do something together and feel less alone in fighting for what they know is right. Tierra grita, Monsanto fuera de nuestra ciudad. No separar la destrucción de mi planeta y calor que nos asfixia, lo quema todo en el agua, sube desde los polos. No quiero ver más tierra muerta, su semilla infecta solo brota una vez. El CO2 lo quema todo, así como el consumo a su fiel comprador. Tomate algo para la tristeza Que te genera no llegar a 
que de plata, pega con tu corbata, todo bien porque la consumes y no la pasas mano a mano, oh a mano, oh a oh a oh a. Bebiendo agua negra que viene del lago, el fragmento toda vida ya. No, no se borra la destrucción de mi planeta y calor. Was Mafalda Agua Negra. And the first song that you heard was called Mucho Miedo y Más Valor, meaning A Lot of Fear and More Courage, by Tremenda Juara Ecologistas en Acción. This is Indigo Radio, and we're talking with Annie and Ellen of Fridays for Future Donostia, Spain, a youth led movement working to put people and the planet over profit. I read about uh, Fridays for Future being part of a coalition group that filed a lawsuit against the Spanish government. I was wondering if you could explain what this was about and how, like, how this came about and what it was about and if anything has come of it. So this started by the, um, by the case of Uganda in the Netherlands. They demanded the government in the, well, in a trial that they were putting people's life in danger by and future future generations in danger by contributing to climate to, to the climate crisis so uh, it was a really long process but they won and they served to uh, an example for france uh, germany then belgium and now it's in spain so in spain 
Peace, a collection between Greenpeace, eh, bueno, Juventud por el Clima, de Fridays Spain, Ecologistas en Acción, Oxfam Intermon, and I'm gonna take a group out. That. Sorry, I can't remember. But um, what they, what they, one of the important things is that they have connected human rights to the to the climate crisis. So that's a good, a good news. And what they are demanding is that this year the Spanish government presented the climate law that ex uh, that it's only committed to reduce the 20, 23% of global of emissions for 2030, when the, the European nation is demanding the 55%. So this is totally insufficient, like it's, <laughs> like it's not enough at all. And what we are demanding is that they they um, they complete what they promised, and also the government that we have now. They are saying that they are like the most progressive, okay, the most uh, progressive government in history of Spain, but like they are not really being as progressive as they could. So it's kind of making them a favor because I imagine that if they are being um, pressured by lobbies to have a lower a lower law if we also show in the streets that we are demanding this they have an excuse to really do what i hope that was their intention so yeah they, we are demanding that they complete what they promised and yeah the law was presented in june and now they said that the first Outcome. I don't know how they call it, but like the first outcome, it's going to be in a few months. So we really hope that that there are good news because it had a really like we could see how in the streets it was supported. And uh, in France, they did something that they um, presented a collective films, like they collected signs. Sorry, they collected signs, and in in a really short period of time, they collected 2 million signs. Wow. So that's a lot. That is, that is symbolic. It doesn't really have a, like a justicial uh, impact, but it does show that people support this demand. We call it litigio climatico here, and that was the main narrative of the 20th of September. I mean, I just think that this goes to show that they signed the Paris Accord, and now they're not even saying that they're going to do it. It's not that they don't do it. It's not that now they're not even uh, having the, uh, are not even trying to do it. They outright say, we're not going to do it. Yeah. And I just find that I, I can understand it. It's, Things happening in Madrid, for example, the capital, that they have such a, like, an ignorant president that is like, I don't know, negacionista. Ah, okay, a denier. It's like a climate denier. And there was one thing in Madrid that was called a Madrid Central that kind of changed lots of streets for being peatonal and not having cars and, like, making, I don't know, it was like a change for the city, trying to make it more sustainable. 
and they have allowed to take that out. And like they are, those streets that were peatonal are, are having cars again and it's like going back. So that cannot be a possibility. That cannot be allowed. Yes, and for example, in um, Barcelona, they're trying to build, trying mm -hmm. to expand the airport and which is another very big contributor to the climate crisis. So we see how they, the president and the ministers wear a pin of Agenda 21, um, trying to say how sustainable they are and how they care. But then, I mean, it's just, they, they talk and they say they will do things, but then the reality is they, they don't share. It's like, when it comes down to doing something and to actually taking action, they, they've done nothing, virtually nothing. Nothing has happened. And like in, in 1919, no, in 2019, sorry, like uh, the, the COP that is going to happen now, the 26th, but the 25th happened in Madrid because of what was happening in Chile and all of that. And we went, like Fridays for Future Donostia, we went there and we went to the demonstrations and we were listening to Greta and all of that. And I could see the whole city being like, oh yeah, green city, taking action and all of that. And that year, is that Endesa, that it's a, a, a company, a energy company from Spain, took the first, the first page in all of the papers from Spain, like making such a green green washing. And also the city had all these all these panels of yeah, we're super sustainable and all that because of the COP. And then Madrid is I don't know if the most like the the city that has most deaths about uh, air pollution or like there is one thing that they are called El Champiñón, a great thing about the city that is all the the emissions like and I was so mad I remember getting out of the event so mad that I have seen so many ah oh, yeah and like hey. it was horrible you know as we said earlier it's not only like we can live separately from nature but what happens also affects us I mean in Spain 10,000 children die every year because of air pollution and then like the pandemics like I'm not prepared to live another pandemic like I really don't want to live that again and if we're mm. destroying nature yeah so we're destroying the natural barrier that it's between the uh, diseases that we can find in wildlife and and us I wanted to ask you all a little bit about September 24th the strike for the climate and um hear a little bit about like you're all how you all felt it went, but also um, particularly Ellen, you had started telling me about the right of young people to strike. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that and how like the experiences of young people leaving schools to join a climate strike. Okay, so I mean, I'm talking from the perspective of Spain only. I don't know how the regulations are in other countries, but Basically, Spain has uh, the Supreme Court rules that uh, every student over the, uh, that is 
in third of Esho, so I think 14, it could be, in third of Esho, can legally strike without parent permission. I mean, it is true that most people start striking when they go into first of bachillerato, but Genius. 16 years old. In 2019, I left school, but I couldn't legally strike, so I didn't. But this year was my first time striking. I mean, I felt like lots of people, you know, they just wanted to miss school. But at the same time, even that, I think, puts pressure. I mean, it creates pressure on schools that not only have to be places where information is transmitted onto students but also a place of reflection and you know we are all young we it's like it could be a great opportunity for us to look further and to reflect and to make a positive change so even that I think puts pressure on schools in my in my school lots of parents were not happy with their um, children going on a strike how can your priority be missing one day of school instead of trying to do the most you can to try and prevent a catastrophe? I mean, it's a little bit, I can't understand how, how that is, but, and also they said, oh, my, my children have never uh, done anything, you know, or gone to any protest or done it, but I think that that's also like their responsibility because they haven't really taught their children to do any of that or show them how to do it. Or my mom always and my father always supported me. And like when I was really concerned at the beginning of the climate, like when I knew what was going on, they supported me and they tried like um, to um help me do things like for example these are the ones who organized for me to uh, be one of the people who spoke in the in the city hall so i just think that if parents aren't willing to take responsibility how are they going to expect their children to just magically have the knowledge have the willingness have the resources to do something if they don't do anything I mean, it's really difficult and unrealistic to, I think, to expect that from, from us, you know. Maybe there are some people who can do it, but my opinion is that the vast majority, you know, need guidance like in any other thing, you know, and really teach the climate crisis not as just a scientific fact, but something that we can do something about and that we must do something about. And I also feel like that education shouldn't just rely on each family, like with feminism or talking about the LGBT community, like this should all be, be discussed in class without taking into account if a family has spoken it or not, because how can, like we are creating hum human beings that are going to live in a community. So this information must be available for everyone. And we cannot just rely on the confidence of parents that, as you said, a lot of times don't even put that into the dinner tables. And maybe um, being more focused on, on the 24th, I was, for me personally, I was really happy with the outcome because um, 
after being in a pandemic and all of the confination and all of that, we our the demonstrations that we've done throughout these years um, were really little. Um, not many people came, and we felt kind of not listened to. So for me, it was a robust of energy. Seeing, I mean, compared to 2019, obviously it wasn't that many people, but I really felt like they were coming new faces. And I know I really, I felt really, really happy about the outcome. And also to mention a little bit more about the organization of Fridays, as we said, even if we have common objectives, every local group has its own goals. And in Spain, we were focused on the narrative of this climate trial. So, I know, like, I really felt like we had gained a force again and how, um, yeah, like, and the fact that we are now on a, tr on a trial makes me feel more hopeful. Like, it's not just we screaming in the streets. Like, there are now professionals working for this. And, like, there can be, like, justice can be made in a... In, in a court. And for me, that's amazing. You made me think when you were talking about how it shouldn't just be up to parents. And I'm wondering both like in um, the high schools here and in universities, how much is taught about social movements or about climate justice? Virtually nothing. I mean... <laughs> There may be some mention of it in, in some class sometime, but there isn't a pursuit of really trying to educate young people on these issues. I feel like it's often left up to us to try and educate ourselves, learn about it, by ourselves, not knowing how to, like, I want to learn, but it's difficult for me to learn by myself. I feel like if the school system taught us, it would be, it would be a much more widespread consciousness of everyone, like any other thing, like math. Everyone, everyone knows basic math. Well, everyone should know some basic things about social justice movements and about, you know, the climate crisis. Okay, I have a, such a strong opinion about this because the last years have been so frustrating about this because they like, they take out of you any initiative uh, emotion that you have, any like, um, they don't teach us to like, they don't give us any tool. They just give us answers that, to, get to questions that we haven't asked. Like, I mean, I'm not saying that you don't have to know math. Like, obviously you need that to your life, but it's maybe, for instance, in Spain, I, I can't talk about other countries, but in my experience that I've, my whole life I've been in public school, it is so focused on memorizing and, and just having exams that they don't give you any space for imagination for like all your capacity to ask questions is is eliminated in every subject like maybe even in history that it's super important like last year we were studying spanish spanish history and i feel like there are so many things 
of actual uh, of actuality that I didn't understand that I didn't understand that I knew that and I was like wanting to debate a little bit about that and they eliminate debate they eliminate they uh, eliminate asks the questions and they eliminate imagination so taking that into account like if they say if they take all of that from you how are you gonna worry about anything or you know like all the all the things that we did in a social movement was, uh, for example, in the third grade, we wanted to talk about feminism because of the 2018 boom, that was amazing. And it was us giving a talk about feminism when we knew nothing. Like he was searching for a few things in internet and going to classes because we were like, no, we want to talk about this, we want to talk about this. And just for a day and like, if that is the information that 12 year olds received from a 14 years old, like how is that a good, no? I don't know if I'm explaining myself. The only social movements information that we received came from people that knew nothing that was us. It's horrible. Like last year I was so frustrated because it was like the last year we had to prepare selectividad and all of that. And the fact that we, like, we couldn't think like they, they take out of you the ability to think and you just must like, you don't understand why you are doing things since like my film is that they are so far from reality it is also theoretical that when you get out of that, because I'm at uni now, I can't remember a thing that I did last year, just history and Spanish. That was my, that were my favorite subjects. That's it. It's all very, very theory, theoretical. And it's prepared for a system that wants people to work in factories. And that's a, a job that it's been eliminated now because it's so repetitive and it's just memorizing and like vomiting what you've learned. Mm. And like I read somewhere that new the jobs of the future are not even invented. So we are not preparing the generations to the work that it's going to be needed. And I have to say, you all like know a lot for not having been given the time or the energy to be able to learn this stuff in school. <laughs> I wish like yeah. all of my students were like you and took, <laughs> took this passion and energy to do something in the world, you know? <laughs> I could not imagine myself not doing anything. I, I do it because I feel that I have to do it. But I also feel, Ellen, I don't know if you can, like, if you are, as if you agree with this, but like, don't you feel like you would be much more, I don't know if happier, but like relaxed if you didn't know all of this? Because the equanimity, the equanimity is like so huge sometimes. Don't you feel like that? Yes, yes, um, but you know, at the same time, it's like anxiety, fear are all emotions that serve a purpose. And yeah, I mean, when you when your house is on fire, you feel anxiety because you have to put it out, and it is a a response to a real problem. So I mean, having I, you know, it's hard sometimes to not have anxiety when you're not doing anything, but I also think that it's like, you know, 
Um, Greta says, it's not time for hope, it's, it's, uh, it's time for action. So, yeah. I mean, I try to be hopeful and this is why, because I have hope in that things can change. But it's like, if I didn't have the fear, the anxiety, and knowing that bad things will happen and are happening, if we don't do anything, it just, it serves a purpose. So for one side, no, I would like to not feel that way, but I also think it, it was in some ways, you know, makes me want to do something. My conscience wouldn't be a just calm if I just going around and, you know, I don't know, for example, they are building a pipeline, they are building pipeline um, in, they are building pipelines in indigenous lands and I'm just, okay. <laughs> and whoever's dying, okay. So I'm just gonna live my life. It's like, what? I, I'm like, how are you gonna live your life knowing that? It's, it's so like, I can't understand. I, I, I understand, but at the same time, I just, as you said, I can't relate. I, yeah. I really can't relate to those people, like not having the urge to do anything. Well, I feel like it goes back to our conversation at the beginning that it's not about the, the people individually, what they do and what they think. It's that what all of us do individually and what all of us think individually is being shaped by the people in power, by the wealthy. And so I guarantee if people were learn, if this was a part of the curriculum, if the government was making decisions about this, if they were like putting all of our, the resources and technology into actually serving people, not profit, there, we wouldn't be trying to convince people that they should be care about this they would naturally care about this because their lives would have been shaped in that way. And so it takes like that extra effort to go against the current, right? Yeah. There's one thing that Greta said in an interview that I really liked that she was asked what she would like to do in the future, like what she would, I mean, I know what, yeah, what would she like to do? And she said that she would really, one not to do anything with the climate like <laughs> like she wasn't doing this because she liked it like it was her passion it was just like she was concerned mm-hmm. and I really like I really related to that like <laughs> like the, we don't do that because we are passionate about it I mean we do feel really strong about it but it's not our I know I know I, I like to read and I like to play guitar I mean I don't want to be sorry, you understand what I want to say? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. For example, when, you know, we have to think about um, what material we want to go into or and we are forced to think about the future. It's very hard for me to imagine a future when, I mean, obviously there is, everything is so black, you know, but I mean, I have hope, but it's difficult and it just, feels really unnatural and really strange for people to ask that when, you know, with the current situation and just thinking about that is, is really strange to me. The idea of hope. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, there goes my last question for the interview. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, but I do have, I, I, I heard someone say that um, pessimists, if that's correct, okay, pessimists uh, are the ones who take action because positive, I, pessimistas, optimists. Y, uh, yeah, and optimists, just like, Say, oh no, but things will will happen, and things will be in in, in their current uh, path. And pessimists are the ones who like say, yeah, but it won't happen if we don't change. So there's another thing that I really like that is the shift from a dystopic narrative to a utopic narrative, and how all this like in the pandemic, the series that was most seen, most watched, sorry, was a virus, and it was like. You're living already that. Like, why are you watching that in your free time? So if all the narratives that we are watching are making us accept a horrific future, how can we be willing to change that? So I really think that we need stories that make us believe that change is possible in order to, like, there's a, a say that my father says in Spanish that it's um, mira a donde vas o irás donde miras. It will be look at where you're going or you will go where you are looking at. Mm. <laughs> so I really, I really feel like that's the change that we need. Well, I still am going to ask the last question and see if anything else comes up for you all, but I'll add a little to it. <laughs> um, I'm wondering what, like, what continues to give you energy to do this work when we know it's hard and how to, and does hope play into that? And what are you what what do you hope will happen for the future? For me, honestly, having more people who also care about it and are willing to work and work all together, that's what really because you know I try to doing it alone is very hard. It's not plus like in Fridays where we like we obviously do the activism work, but we also like are, have like a relationship. It, I think that it's really the people who are there and who also care. You motivate each other to keep working towards your goal. Well, towards everyone, because no. So. Yeah, we have a we have built a really strong a community, and it's true that I feel really fitted of energy when I'm around you all. Like we've built a network of, of support. And I think that's the most beautiful thing of activism. Mm -hmm. Like taking care of each other and all of that. You've been listening to Indigo Radio on WVWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the hosts and guests and not the radio station. Thanks for listening to Indigo Radio today. We've been talking with Annie Rodriguez and Ellen Kelly from Fridays for Future in Donostia, Spain. Please check out Indigo Radio at Instagram and Facebook or follow us on iTunes and SoundCloud to hear more of the shows. We've been broadcasting for over five years, so there's plenty of options to choose from. Whether you're looking for more shows about the climate, youth movements, or just want to browse and see what there is. We appreciate you all listening, and please make sure to check out Fridays for Future. It's an international movement all across the world, led by young people, 
And they're doing really amazing work putting pressure on politicians and industries to make real substantial changes that we need in our world. And let's all do our part to change our world so that people and the planet are put above profit. Thanks, everyone.